Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Bream, we are taking a dive into our new book, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak. And it is a look at families, um, some that are on the right track, some that are not. Uh, very complicated. And I've got a great guest back with me today to talk about this and to look at how we interpret these stories, why they're in the Bible, what we can learn from them. Mary Grace Dupree is a research fellow at Emory University and a biblical scholar. She's back to help us dig in. And it's great to have you, Mary Grace. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here, Shannon. So we do have all kinds of women in this book as we did in the first. This is through family relationships. That's really the focus here. And um, not everybody here has a good family relationship. There are some that are really positive. The book starts out with Miriam and Jochebed, uh, this mother and daughter who were very brave in the things that they did to save Moses. Um, So let's talk about that positive relationship first. And then we're going to get into the fact that God includes flawed people and he uses flawed people, which is good news for all of us. And um, we'll look at those more complicated relationships as well. But let's start there with this mother-daughter pair that really stuck together and had courage when they needed to. Yeah, they are a fascinating pair because if you're talking about biological mothers and daughters with a super positive relationship in the Bible, they're it. In terms of biological mother and daughter, it's Jochebed and Miriam, and they really kick off the whole salvation narrative that begins with Moses, right? Everything that happens in the New Testament, the whole Jesus story is understood by the gospel writers to be looking back to that initial exodus so that, you know, then Jesus fulfills that exodus. But all of the story really begins there with Moses, which really means that it begins with Jochebed and Miriam, and with this devotion between a mother and a daughter, and this daughter's really sacrificial love for her mother. So often when you think of mother-daughter relationships, you think, well, the Bible must tell us that mothers sacrifice themselves for their daughters. That's not really what we see in the story of Jochebed and Miriam. We see Miriam putting herself out for her mother and sacrificing herself and taking tremendous personal risks for her mother's happiness and her Mm -hmm. mother's fulfillment. And that to me is just the most moving part of the story is that this is some 12 year old girl who just knows that she wants her mama to be happy. And haven't we all been that 12 year old girl (laughs) who wants to make mama happy, you know, but man, look what she does. She changes salvation history with that impulse toward love inside her. I have a lot of feelings about Miriam. (laughs) I can tell. And she is amazing. And we, and the good thing about the Bible is we get to journey along with her to later in her life as well and see the rest of her journey. But here we are focused on that beginning where she and her mom have to work together because they're slaves. I mean, these are enslaved people. They're Hebrew women who do not have much the world would think to look forward to, but they continue to build these families. 
And little Moses, who is the son who is basically under a decree to be killed from the moment he's born, these women work together to protect him, to hide him, to save him. Um, And they're very courageous at both ends of the spectrum to the point where Miriam, you know, bravely steps up. I don't know that at 12, I would, I would stepped up to the, you know, the opposition leader, the person who, um, the daughter of the person who's enslaving your entire people and jump into that and be the one to kind of negotiate this solution that benefits both Moses and his mother, all because of Miriam saying, I'm going to step up and I'm going to speak out. Yeah. And we really, it's hard for us to read and really understand the kind of situation that Jochebed is raising her children in. And some of that is so many of our English translations, um, well, they'll shy away from the word slave or enslavement. I know a lot of uh, 18th century translations preferred servant. No, no, no. These people are not mm-hmm. servants. They are being raised in a condition of complete hopelessness. Imagine holding a precious little baby in your arms, like the day you give birth and you're full of all these hopes and dreams. What if you knew that none of those would come true and that your child would die a young and early death from backbreaking labor? Would you have it in you to create a family then? Would you have it in you to give love. So Jacobed's very love itself is revolutionary. What she is doing is saying, none of the reality of what happens outside of our house matters. I'm going to weave a protection around my family that is love. And that is an amazing thing to say. Just the hope that puts one foot in front of the other and says, maybe my child could have a better life or even in the case of a child that isn't going to have a better life, that that child's life is still worth something. I think so often we have this idea, well, our lives are worth something if they are on, you know, you and I were talking about the upward trajectory of life. Not everybody's life looks like that. And mm-hmm. those lives are still full of love and still full of wonderful things. So that's another thing I think the biblical narrative there can point us toward is that value in their lives. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I love too that the scriptures tell us old and new Testament, when they talk about this story, that when she looked at her son, she knew there was something different about him, that there was something special. I mean, probably, you know, we all feel that way about a baby that, you know, (laughs) comes into our arms, but, but we're told it was something a little different, almost like a spiritual destiny or a special spiritual task for him that he um, had something divine about what he was going to end up doing. At least she had some kind of mother's insider intuition um, that he was marked as, you know, going to have a special job from the Lord in some way. Yeah, the, the language of the Bible there is really interesting when it says that she sees that he's a fine child. Um, it's, it's not entirely clear what the Hebrew there means. It doesn't really mean that she said, oh, well, this one's really pretty. I'll try to say this one. <laughs> um, it means that she sees something in the interior of him, some, some special thing, some spiritual intuition that then gives her the courage 
to do what she does. So again, in the whole Jochebed, Miriam, Moses story, we see this almost circular pattern of love that what she sees in Moses then inspires her courage. And then Miriam takes courage courage from her mother's courage and pours that love back toward Moses. So we really see this beautiful circular motion of love in that whole family. And as you were rightly saying, I mean, this is a really the only in-depth kind of positive mother-daughter relationship that we get a lot of facts and details about in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the book talks about, we have a lot of other relationships in there. Um, I write about mothers and sons. We write about fathers and daughters, and we write about spiritual mothers and daughters. And I love the focus here too, because I think we all, hopefully we've all been blessed to have spiritual mentors, women we look up to sort of spiritual mothers in our lives. Um, and I find, I don't know about you, but I find that I'm now many times on the other side of that equation that that I now have younger women who um, are mm-hmm. in need of spiritual encouragement and guidance and will come to you with career problems or relationship problems or big decisions they've got to make. And we see that modeled really beautifully in the Bible. Um, one of the, you know, the pairs that we include in mother mothers and daughters of the Bible speak is Naomi and Ruth. And what a beautiful story of choice of choosing to come together as a family in a really difficult circumstance. I mean, Naomi and Ruth were thrown together by the worst possible scenario and then ended up after a very treacherous and long and twisting journey in a beautiful kind of thing. But, but all through that, they walked together and became essentially mother and daughter. Oh, it is, it is a, gorgeous narrative, and it really points to the complexity of family in the Bible. So if there's one point I think we should zero in on, well, two, but first of all is that family in the Bible doesn't always mean what we mean when we say family. And I know as people of faith, we have to be very careful sometimes that we're not participating in what I call the hallmarkification of family. Um, My mother loves the Hallmark Christmas movies and she'll watch them like all year long. She's not alone. There are millions of us (laughs) out there. But one thing I've noticed sitting watching those movies with her is that the whole point of Christmas is that the family comes together and that's a really beautiful thing and it makes a great movie but it's not Christmas, right? It's not what Mm -hmm. our religion teaches us Christmas is actually about, you know, that it's a religious festival and it has to do with our relationship with Jesus. So I think sometimes when we say family, particularly in, in our faith communities, we tend to conflate family and faith and think of them as always joined together. It wasn't always that way for early Christians, particularly early Jewish Christians, keep in mind, they were having to say to their family, look, I think I found the Messiah, so I'm going to be separate from you guys. There was a lot of tension in the family in the early Christian centuries. And we see that in the Bible when Jesus says, you know, he who loves father or mother more than me can't participate in this new life that I'm offering. So we have to be careful to always put some air between our Christian idea of family and what is coming through the the TV airwaves that they're trying to say, that's what family is. So we want to affirm the wonderfulness and centrality of family, but at the same time say, the Bible tells us that family is always founded on faith, 
that that is always the foundation and that has to come first. And once we know that faith comes first, then we can see the second thing the Bible is trying to teach us about family, which is that it has nothing to do with biology, right? So many times these families are chosen families like Ruth and Naomi, their mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. In the ancient world, that's not a family. That is just two women who've got nobody. But they together build a family that is founded on faith, that is founded on Ruth's amazing declaration, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And there is no evidence that Naomi sat down and theologized at Ruth and taught her anything other than gave her love and lived her life as a person of faith alongside Ruth. And that Ruth said, there, that, I want that. And because of that shared faith, together, they built a family. And again and again, these family narratives in the Bible return us to this idea that biology is not the bedrock of the family. Faith is the bedrock of the family. And as you were talking about um, spiritual mothers and daughters, that's another big theme here is that that faith comes first and then you can nurture someone and become their mother and, and sit at their feet and become their daughter. But that faith is always first, always underpinning it. Not that I don't love a good Hallmark movie now. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I'm and just frankly, saying that we need them these days. Yes. I can Listen. understand why your mom like loves them so much because they, <laughs> we all, I think, you know, I've got a few on my DVR and if I, and I rarely watch TV because we're all so busy and just don't really have time. But occasionally I'm like, you know what? I need a good Hallmark movie in my life. Oh, man. I just, the world is uh, a cruel place right now. And um, so I get that, but I, I think you make such a good point that none of our families are as perfect as the Hallmark families. You know, um, yeah. it goes beyond a pie that gets burned, you know, for the Christmas dinner or a fiasco shopping or whatever. I mean, so the Bible includes these stories that are very messy. And, you know, it was hard to write about some of these um, that were in the book this time, but important to include them. I think about um, Rebecca as a mother. Um, her story st starts out with such promise. I mean, she and Isaac um, are, you know, the Lord brings them together and we're told that she's beautiful and industrious and Isaac is excited when he sees her. And, you know, there's this snippet about her falling off her camel essentially. So we don't know if there was some kind of mishap right. there or she was that taken with them too. So we know it starts off in a beautiful place, but we also know that they had years and years of infertility while they were hoping for a family. And they clearly knew all of these promises, the covenant to Abraham, Abraham, Isaac's father, and all of these many twists and turns that have, have come through their lives. And yet they have this long period of waiting. Finally, she's pregnant with these twins, has this really difficult pregnancy, is told things about her sons to come. And somehow um, she doesn't make the best decisions as a mother. Well, that is is putting it very kindly. She makes <laughs> That's terrible decisions, right? Which which gives hope, I think, to all of us who are mothers who can look back and go, oh, man, that was a terrible decision. There's certainly biblical precedent for that. But you're right that the Bible is always holding up a mirror to us and saying, your family may not be perfect. 
And you're right, too, that, boy, Rebecca's story starts with such promise. And she's so brave, right, when she says, I will go with this man, this strange servant who's come to take me to marry his master's son. She starts off with this narrative of courage. But then we see how all of these family pressures the infertility, the expectation of the promise that she can't quite fulfill, how many years of feeling inadequate lie behind all of her bad decisions, how this sort of eats at her soul and eats at her relationship with her husband, so that at the end, we see nothing but this completely deceptive relationship where she thinks nothing of lying to her husband, cheating him, it's, it's a terrifying portrait of a family that has really fallen apart. And it's hard for us to point to any one person and say, oh, well, it's your fault. It's certainly not all Rebecca's fault or all any one person's fault. But this family has really failed, has fallen apart. And I think it's really instructive that even out of that failed family, God brings beauty. He doesn't say, oh, well, then forget it. The covenant's Mm -hmm. off. I'm going to go find somebody else. He says, all right, this family had some problems, but they're still part of the covenant. They are still part of this larger story, which I think is a really beautiful thing. I do too. And I feel like we see that over and over again in both the Old and the New Testament, um, that there is always an opportunity for redemption. Um, God knows we're human beings. I mean, another story in the book involves um, David and Michael, his first wife, her father was King Saul. And I mean, you want to talk about in-law problems. I mean, King Saul is the worst possible father-in-law you could ever have. I mean, he tried multiple times to kill David. And so that's after sort of using his daughter, Michael, as a pawn to marry David, um, There were several potential booby traps laid in there, but the problem is Michael actually loved David. It's one of the few places we see in the, in the Bible where a woman is sort of openly yearning or has these emotions um, for this man that are on the page there. Uh, And yet what a disastrous situation. I mean, I find that with both Rebecca's decisions and, and I include in the book, you know, some of the current events that, you know, I've included, I've covered the last couple of years too. these parents with a college admission scandal, um, mm-hmm. the mother accused down in Florida, my home state of breaking into a school system um, of which she was an employee to rig the homecoming vote for her daughter to become homecoming oh. queen. And, you know, they both deny it, but they're both facing serious felony charges and jail time. Um, so listen, the themes of this book, are universal. They're across time. Yes, we can make bad decisions as parents. We can try to live our, as I think much like Rebecca tried to do with Jacob, sort of live through them and sort of force their lives into a destiny that we want for them. And that's not always the plan God has for them. I think Michael is one of the most heartbreaking stories Mm -hmm. in the Bible and one that can really speak to us, particularly those of us who have had troubled relationships with a parent. There is no way to describe King Saul other than as mentally ill. We can read that story now and say, boy, could we make an armchair diagnosis here? This person Mm -hmm. is facing serious problems. What is she supposed to do? And I think we see some of the same themes in that horrifying story of, of Jephthah's daughter, who was sacrificed by her father. What do you do when your parent is out of control, when they are traveling the wrong path and there isn't really anything you can do to bring them back? And I think the Bible is saying... 
there isn't always a great choice here. You know, there isn't something where we can look and say, oh, Michael should have done this thing Mm -hmm. or this other thing. She was in an impossible situation caught between her birth family, her family of origin, and her marriage family. And I'm sure many of us have been in that situation experiencing, certainly not to the point where maybe our parents are trying to kill our spouse, but (laughs) we have inhabited some of that same tension that Mikhail is reflecting for us there. Just a really heartbreaking story, but a story that says to us, Sometimes you have to do what you think is right. She ends up standing up to her father, standing up to King Saul and saying, what you're doing is wrong and I won't let you do it. I won't let you hurt anybody else. And so she helps her husband escape her father's murderous clutches. And then, of course, King David goes on to really establish the kingdom of Israel and build this whole dynasty that Jesus will eventually spiritually inherit. But none of that would have been possible if he had died under King Saul's spear. She makes sure that that doesn't happen. Again, another story of a woman in an impossible, perhaps hopeless situation like Jochebed, who nonetheless takes salvation history and makes it happen just with an act of love. You know, Mm -hmm putting a baby in a basket, an act of hope and trust, helping her husband escape, and knowing that she was going to have to face her father's wrath, he very well could have killed her. I'm kind of astonished from the narrative that <laughs> he didn't, right? Yeah. It's, it's a tragic thing, but she, out of that, manages to bring beauty. She does. And that's a common thread to know that through these, testament, these stories in the Old and New Testaments, God is working in the times that seem like nothing but waiting or very painful, very trying, difficult circumstances and family relationships, God is working through all of it. So ultimately, there is this story of hope. And in looking at these relationships, I hope that people will think about their own families and think about how, as you said, we come together in non-traditional ways that God has adopted us. We are adopted into his family as Christians. And what a hopeful message that is. Um, Mary Grace, thank you again for helping us dig into this. We always appreciate your time and your expertise. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Shannon. Talk to you again soon. That's it for this week's Live in the Brain. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.